Would you like your team to be more adaptable? Do you wish you could be more adaptable? Stay tuned for this very interesting and exciting conversation with Ross Thornley about how to improve your adaptability quotient. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today, I am particularly excited because of my friend, partner in crime, Ross Thornley, who is here to talk about one of the most important subjects. It's been talked about incessantly since the pandemic started, and that is adaptability. How people can respond to change, not from a reactive way, but from really a proactive and creative standpoint. And I'm excited because we're going to do a deep dive into the topic, but also, Ross, you have been so inspired by this topic that you co-founded a company and created a whole technology around it, which we're going to dive into as well. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Shannon. Always look forward to conversations with you. Same here. I know we'll have fun. So before we jump in, I would love to have people know a little bit more about you. You and I started kind of our official friendship relationship around a table. I think it was in a hotel in England, in London, where I had gone over to do an event. I'd taken my daughter, who was 15 at the time, and we sat for hours talking about a variety of things, coach, marketing. So you have a history before and after that, but if you want to jump in with, how did you get started? And and then we'll get to like, why is adaptability such a critical topic for you to dive into? Thanks, Shannon. Yeah, so my background, you know, I was brought up in a family where both of my parents were teachers. Uh And, you know, that kind of environment of how you adapt, how you figure out who do you want to be in the world, Are you being somebody someone else wants you to be or your own self? And that's a path all of us take and we discover as we go along. Fortunately, they were both very encouraging for me to follow things that I get energy from, that I get joy from, and the other parts will follow and flow. So I knew early I wanted to be in graphics and design and communication and my original kind of what I call chapter one for me in my life was a branding and marketing agency. And that was my initial engagement with strategic coach was I'd reached a point in my business where I was the limiting factor to its growth. Mm. I wanted more freedom and I wanted it to become self-managing. And so joining coach, which was actually thankfully introduced to me by my wife, by Karen. And I haven't looked back since in terms of my own adaption, my own evolution of my story of becoming a different version of myself, Mm -hmm. one by design and intent. And I thank coach a lot for that, to be more intentional about who I'm becoming, Mm -hmm. who I want to be in the world. And yeah, you're quite right. This sort of fascination with human behavior and adaptability came because I saw a big challenge and a big problem really in that a lot of people were struggling to deal with the pace of change, mm-hmm. particularly in work. Right. That uh, was a, a big challenge that I was seeing. It was inability to adapt and maybe what the downside and negatives of that would be. Interesting. And to the point where you actually decided you were going to do something about it. So tell us a little bit about the company that you've co-founded around adaptability. This is kind of fascinating because adaptability to me has always been incredibly personal. Everyone does it differently. I couldn't even begin to guess all the factors that go into it, upbringing being one of them. So how in whatever's name did you kind of figure this out? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I came about it as a searching out where solutions might be to solve a challenge and problem of, you know, I was fascinated by innovation and by growth within organizations that was sustainable, that was additive to our environment, that took an appreciation for the complexity of the world that we live in. You know, we have our planet, you know, we have our environment, we have our ecosystems, we have social aspects of how we as a human race interact with each other and how we contributing and navigating through that journey. And it was this sort of stumble when I was working, actually, I remember it, I was working with a big corporate, I was working with Unilever, actually, trying to help them do more radical innovation and driving things through imagination, not through productivity and efficiency. So a lot of innovation was driven through productivity and efficiency over the last you know, number of decades, mm-hmm. getting lean, getting efficient. How do we ensure that our value proposition has more margin, we get more geographical reach, those kinds of things. And the real edge and the real fringe is very difficult when you've got reward of something that's giving you today. And it was a challenge that myself and my co-founder Mike were seeing is, and we wanted to understand why aren't people seeing what we're seeing? (laughs) You know, when we were outside looking in, you know, and seeing particularly the decisions they were making or their biases towards certain technologies that might inhibit or accelerate what they do, they weren't able to let go. So originally I just wanted to make sure the right people were in the room, Shannon, for these types of innovation workshops to make sure that we could drive that ability for companies to see what's coming further in the future, or not only see it, create it by design that's shackle-free. You know, not just a remold of what was yesterday, but if you wanted to recreate and reimagine, what would you do? That led us to go and find, because we're fans of, you know, assessments and we'd use Colby in our agency for years to uncover what makes people go through change, you know, and you go down that rabbit hole to realize just how many change projects and change management, you know, initiatives fail Mm -hmm. and what's the causes of that. And that led us to adaptability in its broadest context, you know, and the good news is it's a skill we can learn and it's a muscle that we can improve. It's not something that you're either born with or not. So that was one interesting piece, Shannon. I think that is so critical to appreciate. It's not just, as we like to joke around, factory installed, (laughs) your ability to adapt. It is actually a skill that you can cultivate, that you can develop, you can, you know, build those muscles and those little fibers in your being. I also now understand why one of your different facets of adaptability is your ability to unlearn, to not be shackled by the past, which is interesting. Now I understand where that comes from. So let's jump in. So we've talked about, you know, what adaptability is, the ability to respond and not be held back, as you said, not shackled by the past. As you were talking, I was picturing, you know, someone able to see around corners Mm -hmm. as to what could possibly have, even better yet, create those new opportunities yourself. I'm all for that. Was it the best way to design the future is to create it? Yeah. Something like that, which I adore. But then a lot of people are like, eh, that feels kind of hard. But what's the cost, Ross, if people don't? I mean, we see this, we read it a little bit, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And for many, they've realized this acceleration because of the pandemic and virus that the requirement to adapt at speed within their work, how they function, what they do has 
changed things that might have been consistent for a long period that they now have to think about what happens for them. You know, what does work look like when I'm working in place where I'm homeschooling plus many other things? You know, how do I deal with that? And I think it's why, you know, for many years, adaptability has been a key skill that has been looked for both in learning and development or in hiring or various things. And it is the number one skill at the moment in countless you know, surveys and reports, whether it's LinkedIn's learning survey that came out just this year, adaptability and resilience, it's the number one skill that people are looking for. And to come to your point around what is it and how does it work and what do people do in order to improve it? This has been a journey for a number of years to figure that out. And I think we're just at the beginning, Shannon, you know, and starting this company, I can see being endlessly fascinated by to expand humanity's understanding of it so we can then leverage it. And our purpose is to ensure no one's left behind. That's why we operate is to the inevitability of change. And if you think about, you know, what the consequences are, if we think about it in the four kind of worlds of adaptability, Mm -hmm. you've got one world, which is collapse. It's death. Okay. So, If we or a system, internal or external or something, isn't fit for its environment and it hasn't adapted to exist well, it collapses, it dies. The next world from collapse is survival. So this is where we have things like coping. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a certain, even within resilience, which is one of our dimensions inside our ability, our resilience, we can cope with a certain amount of change. Depending on the sort of amount of change required, we might not need to change ourselves. We just persist. We're resilient to that requirement, you know, and I can cope. And that's generally in this sort of second world phase of survival, that I'm still existing, I'm doing okay, but I'm not in flow of it. I'm just surviving to those situations. The third world is growth. Mm. So if we think about adaptability that I'm adapting in order to get a successful outcome, psychological success, whether that's social, academic, workplace, wherever that might be, I'm changing in order to grow inside that environment or I'm shifting my environment in one that, okay, I'm not growing here, let's say in this organization, in the way in which what they're doing, what development opportunities there are, If I take myself and put myself in another environment, I might then be able to grow instead of surviving. So it's both within what we do of ourselves, but also our environment. And that's another factor I'll come on to in a minute. So if the third one is about growth, the fourth world of adaption is thriving. Mm. And that's where it expands beyond just an individual or a team or organization, but it becomes sustainable and systematic adaption that all parts are thriving. There's not a sacrifice, you know, the pleasure and pain and all, because this had to grow, that had to reduce. Can all of it thrive and expand Mm -hmm. that, you know, this concept I've talked a lot about before of Mm co-elevation, that all things are rising, so thriving. And at some point that thriving, something changes and shifts could be you were thriving and a virus comes along, Mm -hmm. COVID comes along and suddenly elements go into collapse. Elements die. So it might be our ability to have in-person meetings collapsed. 
there was death to that. So what do I then have to do? I have to survive. I have to look at growth and I look at how I might innovate, how I might creatively solve those problems in different ways. And it is a cycle. And there's all sorts of phases that will be in, in any one of those four worlds at any given point. <laughs> might have a little bit of our business or lives in different parts of those worlds as we navigate. Mm -hmm. And I think the big difference of why I've become so committed to adaptability right now is because the speed and the pace of the change from technological disruption to globalization to all of these things has meant, particularly in work, there's so much that we can't even, you know, hold on to that's consistent. And that for many is an anxious, stressful, fearful environment. For some, they might get joy and excitement. Great. But for many, it is a fearful place and we want to help them through that. I love it. I actually wrote down, as you mentioned it earlier, because I think adapt at speed. I wrote down that phrase like, mm, that's super cool. And it was interesting before the pandemic, because you've been working on this well before the pandemic you know, it was technology, it was, it was the speed of technology and the, the amount of information. There's some stat, which I'm sure I'll get completely wrong, but it's like the amount of input that we take in in a day is equivalent to what someone took in in a year when we were back in agriculture in the year 1600 or something. So it's like, it's a multiple and that's probably even not big enough. So, and the speed of change on a farm in that year, probably not very fast, you know? mm -hmm. but today it can be instantaneous. Like you know, talking about stopping in-person workshops for us or working from home, it was, you know, Friday was one circumstance and Monday was a completely different one. So it's that ability to do that. And some people probably are built or find it easier to do that through training or in a capacity, but other people really do find it fearful. And I like what you talk about, no one left behind. So it sounds like we as a human race actually need to become even more adaptable. And I'm sure we could get into some philosophical conversations about a lot of people being very comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, we are adaptable as human beings, but what's the cost of that adaption for some people? And the cost of it might be so dramatic that the collapse for them is death of an organization or an individual that is not adapting to their environment, commit suicide. Right. You know, this is the end world of somebody that doesn't belong, doesn't fit, doesn't see value, doesn't see worth, and therefore don't feel the ability to shift, to contribute, to feel wanted, to feel valued, to all of those sorts of things. And I think this links a lot to the unlearning that you picked up and other bits of this sense of loss. Mm. So when something changes, let's say the in-person workshop, do we look at that door that's closed and all we do is keep looking at that door and go, I've lost what was on the other side of the door. And if I put all my energy and efforts on trying to open that door again, or do I say, thank you. That was nice. I had that door. I didn't even realize I could look over my left shoulder and realize there's three other doors <laughs> that I've never been in before yet. And so this process of being able to positively mm -hmm. deal with loss through adaption so that I can think about even within the people that we work with, coaches, consultants that are helping organizations do massive reskilling challenges, you know, leadership and development programs, diversity and inclusion, you know, all sorts of areas where we might have to adapt our behaviors, our processes, our thinking, is that to be able to understand that whole process and model of how and to what degree does someone adapt? Mm -hmm. What are the skills that they have so that we can properly 
measure them and deal with it. And then from a character perspective, who adapts and why, so that we can communicate to them in an effective way. So if we understand what motivates them, not in broad terms, but what motivates them to change. And so we're very specific in the lane of when we come around to change and adaption, what is our thinking style? What's our motivation style? And that could be very different to when everything's going well and we're just in the normal. Oh, my motivation is by this, this, this. Well, when I'm changed, what is that? The other factor is when does someone adapt and to what degree? So that's these environmental factors that are so often missed off. It's just thought about the isolation of a self, yeah. not the framework of an organization, of a team, of a company, of an industry that looks at psychological safety, that looks at stress and overwhelm. You know, Do we see stress as a bad thing or a good thing? These are all complex questions to understand in adaptability. I love it. And the fact that you've broken it down to ability, character, and environment, and we'll go into those little subcategories mm. for those two, everyone, as you're listening, but it's kind of fascinating. It's a multidimensional understanding and approach, and then you can actually coach on all of these things to help people. Now, I just have to say the words AQAI, which I love. Yep. is such a, so you've applied artificial intelligence to this a lot of different factors to compute. Let me just put it that way to help people be able to do that. And I, I really appreciate this model. We don't want people obviously checking out in any way, shape or form, Mm. collapsing and dying, not a preferable result at all, but even just leaving people at coping Mm -hmm. or survival, that's a very low level functioning, getting people, you know, into growth and then ultimately thriving is clearly what the direction. That's the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's now. People will choose how far they want to go in that process, but you have an actual tool to help them do that, which I think is epic and phenomenal. And I've done it and I'll share my results to talk about. So tell me about this incredible assessment that you've created and it's been worked on. I know coach was one of your betas and it's reworked it. And I don't know, you've just done a lot of, it's got a lot of love, let me put it that way. Yeah. I think it came from the premise of if you want to improve something, you have to measure it first. Right. And so to get something that was valid, robust, reliable, scientifically based and evidence-based so that we had some rigor behind it in the actual assessment. Then we also wanted to, you know, we'd got no legacy. We hadn't got any systems before. You know, this was an industry that I knew into. You know, I'm a creative innovator. I'm not a psychologist. And so coming into it, I didn't have any of those biases or things that you can or can't do or should or shouldn't do. And a lot of innovation comes from people outside of the pocket and industry of those lanes, but then also collaborating with those specialists in it. So it was really important for me. And the assessment itself, you know, we do it via a conversational chatbot. So the experience is different by design. Some of that, which we probably haven't got time to go into, but there's a lot of data behind how do we get the authentic self out from somebody? Mm. Do we show up the way that we want somebody, you know, am I answering it to get something or am I answering it because it's my true self? Mm. Am I going to go through this and say something because that makes Shannon nod and smile or I'm saying it because it's what I believe? And within assessments that are self-directed you know, assessments, It's always been a challenge of 
Is it their authentic self showing up? So we wanted to get it as close to feeling like a conversation, less assessment test-like, mm -hmm. but still be valid and robust. And then shift it easily in terms of the experience into digestible results and a dashboard that everyone gets. And then into the important stuff is, so what? How do I improve it? And so we're building out this model of not only a community of coaches and consultants. I think in the last seven or eight months, we've certified nearly 100 coaches and consultants in about 20 countries. And it's just been amazing the breadth and experience that people have been coming in because they see this as an opportunity to put in their propositions in how they can create value for their clients yeah. by understanding adaptability and helping their companies through change. So that improvement is great if you can get access and you can afford a specialist and a human person mm -hmm. to come in and you know deal with all the complexities of going through change mm -hmm. from counseling to innovation to organizational design to well-being to all yeah. of these different bits. The other part is how can technology serve? How can we allow people to understand, ah, oh, this is my mindset. This is where I am in unlearning. This is my mental flexibility. If I want to improve that, what can I do? And we're building essentially a Jarvis, like Iron Man, you know, assistant to give everyone access to a digital coach that can give them interventions that understands their score, how they learn, what their context and goal is, do they want to reduce stress? Do they want to drive innovation? What is it? And then start to give personalized interventions for them mm. at a very affordable rate rather than humans, are, you know, it's hard to scale that and the costs of. And the last point I'll make, Shannon, is this isn't a pursuit to replace humans. Mm. This is about augmenting right. and to reach areas of the underserved. And that's a fundamental part for us. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Well, and I think of people who, you know, you're an innovator, a visionary, I am as well. And so we're often the ones instigating the change. I love change when it's my idea. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Not so much when it's imposed, yep. which I think has actually been part of my drive to always be at or very close to the top of an organization because I don't like being at the effective things. It's actually, I realized, part of my strategy over the years. But for someone who's within an organization who may not be in those leadership meetings and that's not actually where they want to be, but then they're being affected by those decisions or the you know leaders are seeing, oh my gosh, we have to transform ourselves. But, you know, 20 steps back, someone's like, we have to what? Why? Yeah. You know, and it's bridging that conversation. So, and that's most everybody. Very, very, very few people by definition are at the head of organizations making those decisions. And some of those people are having trouble adapting, right? So this applies to everyone and helping people understand that. And so I think getting a baseline, I have to tell you, having measurements for these things was cool. It was so wild. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could measure that. Yeah. You can measure grit, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? And then like, which ones do I want to improve? And learning was one of them, by the way, just mm -hmm. so that you know. So I just want to give people a taste of the assessment because it's so, I was going to say so yummy, but you know what I mean. And I also just want to give a definition because it's so brilliantly written here. AQ or adaptability quotient is a holistic measure of workplace adaptability. So that's really where you focused it. Mm -hmm. The higher your AQ, the more likely you'll be able to recover from setbacks, find alternative solutions to problems and embrace change. 
right? So very, very, very clear exactly what your mission is. I love that. All right. So let's just, um, let's just jump, can we just jump into some of the, some yeah, of the bits? Sure. Cause you know me, yeah. I love to get specific. So there's ability, which has a, mm-hmm. a bunch of different characteristics. I know we won't have time to go into them all. You already mentioned some, mm-hmm. but let's just talk about ability. I found it really interesting that you said AQ ability can change over time as you learn and grow your skill set. Mm-hmm. As we talked about, as a result, it has the greatest impact on your AQ score. So it's a portion. It's actually, I think, the largest portion. And it's the one that you can change the most. This is not static. You are not stuck yep. with the number. So let's go into what are the different specific components of ability? Yeah. So inability. So if we think about this as the question it's trying to look at is how and to what degree do I adapt mm-hmm. as an individual? And the five areas that we cover is grit, mental flexibility, mindset. And so this isn't necessarily just about growth or fixed mindset. It's your mindset around change and adaptability, resilience, and the other one, unlearning, which is a fascinating area. And with each of these, what's really interesting is it's not just about getting all high scores in terms of a large number. Whilst we do have a growing global average. So for everyone who does the assessment, they then can see from as the database in real time is expanding with new people going through it, you can see where you might be on your grit scale in comparison to the global average. That may or may not be helpful for you. When you then start to look at it from a team basis, we look at the distribution of any of those dimensions across a team and the averages across your organization. Mm -hmm. So they're really helpful to indicate, like you said, to have a benchmark or a status quo of where you are. And I think what's interesting as you dive deeper into them, take grit, for example, we might think of this as a really important trait. In fact, Forbes just released another article today from the HR council at Forbes, listing the 14 top skills again that you know people need. Adaptability is in there, resilience is in there, and so is grit. And grit can be both helpful, but it might also be harmful for us, mm. depending on the context of where do we apply our grit. Because we might apply our grit and be thought of as stubborn, or you know we actually are so committed to something, we can't look to the left or look to the right. So we might not be as mentally flexible to look at different alternatives or various things. So it really depends on what the role you have and the role you want to have as to what the perfect makeup is of a profile of skills Mm -hmm. in those ways. So grit is one like that. And if I may, I'll just talk a little bit more about resilience because who hasn't, you know, read an article use the word resilience in any of their context over the last year, I think would be a very rare person. It's something that has come into our lives and this talk and this word about resilience and all on the tin, it's, well, to bounce back, you know, and then people start to talk about, okay, is it about bouncing forward? You know, what what is resilience? And I give people a little mental model to think about resilience in a couple of ways. If you think about a scale of the intensity of change, so if it's a low intensity of change, something that's not too different to what you're currently doing at one side of that scale, at the other side of the scale, the intensity is change, it's radically different to what you're doing right now. So if we think about that line that we've got an intensity of change, we might have on that low side things like stability 
We're using resilience to absorb it, to cope with it, you know, through persistence. And because the intensity of that change is low to where I am, I can cope with it. I've got a coping capacity. I absorb it in and I use persistence and I keep things stable. If we then move along that line of that intensity of change and as you move along it, you've also then got an increase in the kind of transaction cost of that change. So the energy or the time or the resources to deal with that change. In the middle, you've got incremental adjustments. So that might be our adaptive capacity. So we're making incremental changes because the intensity of change is a bit more than I can cope with and I need to adapt myself to a certain level. And our resilience you know, as we go through that, we'll see areas in our lives where we might actually, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really resilient because I've coped with it. I might then be, oh, I'm great. I've just adapted myself. I'm really resilient. I've bounced back from it. So then if we go to the far side, it's our transformative capacity. So can we respond in a way that entirely reinvents what we're doing, how we're doing it, and that our resilience allowed us that we had that capacity to transform. So even within resilience, when we look at that as a you know, term that's been written about on countless blogs and pieces of what is resilience, when we get down into the science of it and start to understand how do we train people to be more resilient mm. and what are the benefits of it? You know, does this just make people, you know, great for dealing with change or actually does it reduce things like stress mm -hmm. and overwhelm and other pieces and a lot of our data is showing some really fascinating early signs that even for example in our resilience if we improve our capacity in resilience and our scores there it will reduce our sense of stress mm -hmm. and so i'm going to pause there because you know i'm so fascinated and motivated by all of these components but our ability are definitely skills so that's something you need to remember. They are changeable by your own intentionality and deliberate action. I love it. Oh, this is so fun. Yeah. And I was really proud of my resilience score thing. Mm. <laughs> well, the way it reads is true. So when you experience hardship, you're able to get through and recover from negative effects quickly, getting back to your feet without much effort. This also facilitates your ability to experiment, learn and grow from difficult situations. Yeah. And that ties a little bit to me. There's That's the practical, but then also how you think about things, which is mindset. So they, they are very interdependent, I would say. And this, everyone, is also where unlearn comes from. Yeah. <laughs> so not hanging on to those old things. All right, let's jump into character because... It's not on the same scale. You do it yep. very differently. Character's different. Not a good or bad, really. It just might, I don't know, explain character. I'll explain character, but I'd love to do just quick 60 seconds on learning oh, for good. people. Yes, because unlearning, it's not about, oh, I've forgotten something. This is a deliberate action of reevaluating right. based on new information that's come in. So when I enter a new decision, so tomorrow I come and I, you know, I'm faced with a challenge, what has changed? What new information is there that I am allowing myself to make a different decision than the one I made yesterday? Mm -hmm. So I can unlearn. So it's very hard for people to do when they're still getting a reward from that decision that they've made. When it's no longer working, i.e. it's broken, 
we can unlearn something pretty quickly, right? You know, I was doing that and I'm no longer getting a, an applause, a clap, a check, you know, somebody saying, well done, so I can stop doing it quite easily. But the deceptive ones in unlearning is something that's still giving you a little bit of a reward. Somebody's still buying that product or service. They're still buying DVDs via the post. You know, there's still a few there. So, you know, we don't need to let go of it and go, ah, there's new data here. We're seeing what's happening with, you know, broadband, with internet connectivity, with this, with this, with this. And I'm going to stop doing that thing I did before deliberately yeah. to allow a breakthrough in the future. So I just wanted to cover unlearning is so critical component of our adaptability to do it deliberately and intentionally. And it's also something that we continually do. It's not, oh, I'll go and do my unlearning course. Off I go and I do it once and I'm done. It becomes a life practice for those that are highly skilled in their adaptability to continually reflect and reevaluate and make new decisions. So I just wanted to cover that. Actually, just to jump in, just to emphasize yeah. that, yes. And I think this is actually probably the one, I'm, this is completely my opinion, could be totally wrong, but this is the one that leaders actually need to focus in on. Because I think, you know, if I think of entrepreneurs, fair bit of experience with resilience, with grit, a mm -hmm. lot of those things. But sometimes we can be very married to our ideas, our ways of doing things. And I've been in meetings, I know I've said it multiple times, well, we've always done it this way, or we tried that before, or this is, you know, which is not terribly helpful when it's 30 years later. So I think the unlearning is challenging for someone with a lot of experience, maybe in a leadership role in a company. And you actually are the one who needs to unlearn probably better and faster than some other people. That's just a thought as you were talking about unlearning in our whole conversation about if you want to be that creator of change and not hamstrung by things you've done before, pay attention to this one. Yeah, I know it's certainly one for me that I need to. Yeah, it's important. And where do we direct it is important. You know, are we, have we got grit about something that in advantage, if we've got grit about the problem, great. Yeah. If we've got grit about the solution might be something that's not so great. Yeah. So similar with unlearning is where are we applying that to? Where does it shift then to some flexibility in our thinking and our mind? So character, Yeah. let's just give a, a framing for everyone here of how to think about character because we have an uh, entire working industry that evolves around personality. You know, from countless assessments that exist from this to Myers-Briggs to all of these things that look at our personality. And without going down the rabbit hole of helpful, hindrance, they're part of this mix, right, to understand ourselves. And even with ours, it's an additive to decisions. It's not making the decision. We still need to decide this information and its relevancy. We might not like what it is, but it's true and we either dismiss it or we accept it and we can then move forward. If we don't even know it, that's the worst place to be. So if we can identify and know these things, that's really important. So character, what we're looking at, and the reason why we chose character was to place it in a different lane than personality or identity. Mm. So what we're looking at is who adapts and why. Mm. And in there, we've got Again, five dimensions that look at our emotional range, our extroversion, so someone who might be familiar with the big five extroversion of introverts and extroverts, hope, motivation style, and thinking style. And so those five factors look at the character in terms of what is it that 
why someone will adapt. You know, what are the characteristics that we can begin to understand those things is really important. Mm, I love it. And it's interesting because again, they're little dials, they're not percentages. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much right or wrong, right? It's just like you said, if you don't know what it is and, and you're being very specific, how it relates to change, how it relates to adaptability. So all of the other forecasts about how looks more like horoscope stuff. You're very specific about how, you know, relative to change, relative to your adaptability. So that's really interesting. Do you have kind of a favorite one in here, Ross, or one that is most surprising for people or most interesting? Which ones do you get questions about? I think there's a couple that we get questions about in this, and it's often an area where people have an opinion already because they might have been exposed to these other things and it's either in alignment with or it's not or they've got questions around the character if i go through a couple of them you know some of the things that come up it's a bit like emotional range so this is looking at when a change comes about are you collected or are you reactive so do you respond in that moment of change or do you react and one of the things that this has uncovered for many people is their effect on others when they are like this. So for example, in one of the areas of emotional range where it's collected, the person who receives that might feel, oh, you know, I like that. I'm happy about that. I can read it and go, oh yeah, I'm self-assured about the future. I feel calm when unexpected events happen and I feel buoyed up by it. But then I might read the piece that we've got in there. However, at times people may think of you as aloof Mm-hmm. And we've had a range of feedback about that because they've gone, well, either it doesn't really, they don't like hearing it or it doesn't resonate with them. But the reality when they really understand what it's looking at and what it means is if you're required to do a change, all right, something happens and you come across as someone who's calm, who's collected, and someone else might be, you know, spinning around in circles, really reactive and they might perceive you as being aloof. You're not affected by that change. You're not emotionally reactive. And I want you to be going 10 to the dozen like I am. And so therefore you're immune to that situation or the impact of the change. So when they then understand that a bit more about their character and maybe others, they can see it in different ways. So that's one thing that I've found quite interesting is when people see their results and whether they like it or don't, they don't like it. And then when they decide to see, is this really them or not? And at the end of the day, Shannon, they've input the data, <laughs> right? And then we've used the science to reflect back in that situation. So that's one that's quite interesting. Thank you. So I did score not all the way to the bottom, but I'm much closer to collected. Mm. This line completely hit me. You said, because of your mild temperament, you may underestimate the impact negative outcomes have on others. Mm -hmm. I was like, yep, all the time. I'm kind of like, no big deal. And everyone else is like, and it's actually caused some rifts. So whether I like it or not is completely irrelevant. It's true. And so I found that one of the most insightful lines I read, although there's lots, you know, in the profile, because I'm like, oh, that explains some of the... (laughs) Some of the disconnects that people yeah. are having in meetings or what have you, because I'm not upset by something, but other people are. And I need to be able to appreciate, if we're going to go through this together, because we are, I need to be able to appreciate that there are different responses and to listen generously and to empathize and you know, not just think everyone should be like me. That would be weird. So I think it's spot on. Absolutely accurate. So thank you. I think as we 
as humans over the next decade really expand our understanding of AQ, of our adaptability intelligence, it's then I feel the next phase will be when do we deploy each of these? So if my character is collected, there might be if I've got high AQ, I can identify the change and moment at which I might need to be reactive mm. in order to successfully navigate that piece, i.e. there's elements where being collected when there's a fire or a big risk that can be an advantage. But if you're sat there and you, I'm just going to do a brainstorming exercise to get everybody's views on how we're going to get out here, what we're going to do, you know, and all of those things, because you're super collected and other people are going, the fire's coming, we just got to go. There can be times in which being reactive is highly intelligent in the way we adapt to a situation. Mm -hmm. So knowing that this isn't factory installed, that with intelligence, we can then leverage it and utilize it. And the beauty is we go in not blind anymore. Mm. We're not blind to ourselves and we're not blind to others. So when we can go, for example, things like our motivation style. Yeah. So a lot of the motivation, I've got a good friend, James Sale, who does lots of work around motivation, has motivational maps, all of these things. And it's looking at in work and in general, what are all the aspects that might motivate somebody, intrinsic, extrinsic, the Enneagram, you know, baseline for some of these things. What we look at here is when you're faced with change, what's your motivation style? Do you play to win or do you play to protect? And that's a really interesting thing. If you then look at how are you communicating to your team to get the outcome of that change that you want, this new piece of software, this new product launch, this new initiative, this new process that you want, when you communicate it, are you communicating it because that's what would motivate you right. to follow through and do that change? Ah, oh, we need to get going on this new software, so start learning it because we're going to win all this other stuff. We're going to you know, save all this time. And yet someone else might be, I just want to protect what I've got right now. You know, that's what motivates me. So if I position the communication, it will help you protect these things, you know, that we can still work as a team together. We can still do these bits. So knowing these, why someone adapts, we can connect into the right communications to remove some of that friction. And I rewind us to an earlier comment of change programs fail. You know, I think it's 70 plus percent fail. I like to believe there's a world in which we can shift that. And I think understanding people's adaptability profiles will be a massive shift and game change in doing that. Could not agree more. And I remember I got some coaching because I, of course, am, I'm on the play to win side. And when I learned about protect, first of all, it was like, oh, I just had no consciousness that that was actually a thing. But what did actually have the people change was a great I think book read, I read years ago. And it was like, oh, well, if we don't change, then this will go away. So to protect our future, to protect our teamwork. Yep. And they were like, oh, okay. And it was, as you said, communicated in a way that matched their motivation need, they could see it. It was just doing it for the sake of doing it. As far as they were concerned, they were not interested. So that is spot on. And a sustainable business needs to both exploit what it has and explore new things. It can't just be exploring all the time and never be able to maximize the value of what it's brought in to exploit it. Mm -hmm. And so that balance of understanding different teams, what do you need them to do? Are they playing to protect? You want them to look after that proposition and the business as usual, the customer support, whatever it may be, or is it because it's about creating brand new things? An organization needs to, if we remember those four worlds of adaption, of collapse, survive, growth, and thrive, there'll be areas where we need to be in protect. 
style. Yeah. There'll be areas where we yeah. need to be and go after the win of those mm -hmm. things. So that's really important. Great. So the last one, and you had mentioned this at the very beginning, is environment. Yep. And ideally, we want to create our environment. If you're a company, if you're a stakeholder in the company, you want to create an environment where people don't need to leave it in order to be you know, successful yeah. in order to be thriving. So this is a critical, critical topic, I believe. So let's talk through the different elements of environment because, well, if you're listening, you're likely an entrepreneur, a team leader, mm -hmm. very engaged team member. So I know this is very personal for, for the folks listening. It is. And the, the environment is so critical in our adaption both for the individual, the team and the organization, as you said, and creating an environment and understanding when does someone adapt and to what degree is super valuable information. And an organization that doesn't continually adapt will die. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And the reality now with this pace of change that we talked about through technology, all of these things is it's no longer okay to do the thing you were doing yesterday and think it's going to provide value tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We have to move at a pace that is uncomfortable just to keep up, you know? Mm -hmm. So for many, that's exhausting. And so the environment is things like company support, the emotional health, team support for others who are more into the science. That's about psychological safety. You know, can I share failures? Can I be vulnerable? Can I run experiments effectively in the team support? Our work environment. So that's more about the processes and systems. Mm -hmm. So the environment for change, is it just, oh, we got a happy accident. We managed to deal with it that time. Or does the work environment continually have a system and process in place for continual adaption? Mm -hmm. And the last one that's really interesting is work stress. So this is looking at overwhelm of an individual. I find this one one of the most fascinating because it's an epidemic of our time at the moment that people are, you know, either they're on the fringe of being burnt out or they're at the other side of the scale of being bored. You know, where are they in this kind of sense of overwhelm? And to adapt, we need a level of stress. You know, there's a positive aspect of stress. Yes. You know, I talk about this a lot in a lot of our training for the coaches and consultants. It's not just about removing all of the stress, because if there's no stress, there's no change. You know, if there's no uncomfort, there's no change, there's no adaption. So we need to find a balance at which we have a healthy stress that is sustainable, that isn't corrosive, because if we live too long in that place and we're not regenerating and rejuvenating our abilities, i.e. our resilience and these other components, then we are at collapse. So work stress can be an early indicator of burnout. When you look at some of the other dimensions, I know that I've had countless feedback reports and training sessions where we predicted and identified people at risk. So not enough is people that are potentially, you know, just too comfortable and they're not really challenging themselves. They're not doing new things that are really beyond their level of what they're capable of. And I think that is an area as potentially damaging to adaption as one that's too high. And so I find that a fascinating area as well across this environment to understand, you know, when does someone adapt and to what degree? Okay. You have sufficiently just terrified me now because my stress percentage is zero <laughs> when I completed this, which was only a few weeks ago. So that's interesting. Yeah. Somewhat terrifying, just saying. <laughs> so it is in a certain, and for you, 
who I know you very well, you know, taking that and within the lanes. And a, a lot of people have said, well, I'm really stressed, but they realize it's not work. They're stressed because of home and they're blending these things because they're now homeschooling, they're doing all these bits, but they don't feel that they're not able to complete all their tasks at work, you know, or their expectations or all of these things. So we're focused in on work. And of course, as a human, we're multifaceted. We might experience stress in all sorts of areas and ways, but in work, we need a certain element of it. So for you, if I was looking at your profile and all of these things, you have got a fantastic environment in terms of the team support, psychological safety, all of these things that would allow you to be able to go and just get a bit more stress because that might unlock opportunities for you. And it might be because in your world of unlearning was a little bit lower as well, mm -hmm. is that you've created an environment and you've fostered this environment around you to perform in growth. And you might have had moments of thriving, but maybe when you took this assessment and right now, you're not really stressed. If you'd have taken it maybe six months, 10 months ago, you might have been overwhelmed. There's so many tasks here. There's all these things that aren't going. So it does shift and it does change. So what we've noticed is on about three months or six months basis, when people come back and visit it, if they've been intentional with different interventions, they can actually move it on some of these results. Perfect. It's interesting because yes, my work score was high mm. in general, which is very nice to see. And that's one of the phenomenal things about strategic coach, yeah. but it's true. But if I'm not challenging myself, if I'm not growing, if I'm not learning, and I know if I'm not doing that, I'm not a happy camper personally. So I think that's actually a phenomenal indicator. I was talking to someone about stress the other day and people don't really know they're actually, stress is a kind of our overall term for it, but there's distress, which is harmful. And there's something called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, -E -S -S, that is what you need to grow. And my favorite super quick story, I learned this from my friend Ross Slater, is from the biosphere. So they recreated all of the, you know, biological things that people and plants and everything would need to survive, and then they sealed it up. Well, from what I understand is that it did extraordinarily well with one strange thing that happened. The trees grew all over the place, sideways, down, up, sideways again. And it turns out that trees need wind in order to develop the cells in their bark to stand straight. And they need that eustress in order to be able to actually grow properly. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's bad. So we do need some stress. With nothing, well, I would probably be a blob. Do you know what I mean? So I know without some challenge, without some stress, and it's weird because this environment for me in the pandemic where we're doing all this new stuff is actually fun for me. When things are more stable, it's actually a little more boring, but I've, I guess I've adapted and now I need to challenge myself again is what I'm reading into this, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So pretty spot on. That's amazing. I thought it was yeah. a really good thing. And then I'm realizing maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah. And this is the thing as we discover things, it's relevant to what are you trying to do next? So with all of this, when we understand our adaptability, it's for what are we serving? What is the design of our future self? What is that? And therefore, what profile and skills and environment do we need in order for that future version of myself to come into being? Mm -hmm. So for us, it really is about navigating change. You know, it's not this once and done. It is as much as we breathe every day, there's different breathing. 
There's breathing just to exist and survive. And there's breathing that actually thrives our entire system and body, changes our brain function, all sorts of things. Same with adaptability. We're just going through life. And by going through life, by default, you will be adapting. But are we doing it intentionally on our own terms to create the kind of future self that we want, both within an individual, a team, and an organization? And for us, that is the thing here, you know, building a community to understand this and get it into organizations to benefit from an awareness of how do we wrestle with this thing to deal with the volume of reskilling and upskilling. And you talked about, you know, many team members might be facing different things and different levels of. Yeah. The harsh reality is there'll be many job shifts and job changes. Mm-hmm. You know, we are just at the beginning of what will become, you know, multiple career portfolios, all sorts of things that we go through. And sometimes that might be within the same organization if it's inflow and the mobility mm-hmm. of that employee within the organization allows them to shift and move. And I like to think of reimagining this instead of about redundancy of a person, right. it's redundancy of tasks. So we're making tasks redundant, not people redundant. So as we shift through this change for people that we can give them a new opportunity of where they can show up and provide value in the world, whether that is within that organization or another one, we need to help them go through those phases away from sharp objects and the dark side and more into where it's positive and it's abundant and they have the hope and the confidence to get through. Oh, thank you so much, Ross. There's so much care that goes into, you know, just caring for people, helping them adapt, helping them, you know, look at the different parts where they're, they've already got the skills or here's where you can develop. And it's not about making people redundant. I love what you just said about making tasks redundant. Mm. Oh, yes. Let's elevate humans to do even more interesting, creative, fulfilling yeah. work that can have a bigger impact rather than some of the stuff that's really not. So in our last couple of minutes, how can people find out more? How can they do the assessment? If someone's interested in actually, I know people listening that you've got clients. We're like, oh my gosh, my clients need this yesterday. So how can people reach and connect with you? So there's a couple of ways we give access to anyone to be able to do the assessment online. So at aqai.io. An individual can go and do their assessment and do what's called an AQME assessment. It takes about 25 minutes and they can get their own result. And even in the dashboard and platform, it gives them some, how do you improve certain aspects of that? So you might see your score and resilience. You can click a button and within a minute, you've got loads of interventions from books to TED Talks to exercises to do to improve those. So people can do that right now. If then you want to go deeper and it might be around a team and you're working with teams, again, you can do that, set it up and run it across teams and you'll start to get team reports and things. But where we're really focused as an organization is on the channel of coaches and consultants. So we have now this certification, a level one, a level two that's starting in September, where if you lead others, coach others, or that's part of your business and you might be certified in EQ, emotional intelligence, in DISC, in other things, this is a great addition for those people to add to their proposition. So we have a monthly cohort of around 12 to 15 people every month going through that online certification course. 
So our mission is to get a few thousand certified coaches in the next year or two. And that for us is how we can then stand a chance of ensuring no one's left behind so that they get access to the platform, all of the tools to expand the opportunity of working with their clients across the platform. I love it. So aqai.io is what people go to. You've also written a fabulous book called Decoding AQ. So just thank you. This has been so fun. It's funny. I mean, not that I would wish this on anyone. I wouldn't wish the pandemic on the world. However, if you are adaptable, then you are going to innovate and really thrive in this environment. And you have done some incredible work, Ross, and are still doing and continuing to develop some amazing tools to help people really thrive in our increasingly fast-paced world. And that whole idea of not leaving anyone behind. I mean, we all have friends, we have family members, we've got colleagues, people we love who we see struggling. So this is really relevant to every person that I can think of and that I know. So just thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And again, aqai.io is where to go check this out. I think this is actually one of the one of my new favorite tools, which is saying something. <laughs> thanks, Shannon. Ross, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to everybody at Coach, because we wouldn't exist as a business or our proposition without Coach. That's heartfelt and eternal gratitude. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ross. Ross.